Renee Black is one of our uh, members and worshipers and a volunteer with us who helps with Care Effect and many other things. And her mother just suffered a mild stroke, they think, while at another church. So let's just pray and ask uh, the Lord to be with Renee's mom and also with Felix Sapp, who is right at that door Sunday after Sunday, but today is in ICU at Kenner. Lord, we want to stop and ask you to be with these two whom we love and whose faces we love to see here. And Lord, we pray you'll be with Renee's uh, mother, that you will help this situation pass and make her whole and healthy and bless Renee as she is seeking to minister to her mom. And also for Felix, Lord, we pray that you'll be with him as he's in ICU this morning instead of in church where he loves to be. And that you will raise him up again to join us soon and continue to bless us with his presence. Lord, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount and particularly this prayer you taught us. And let's say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is Matthew chapter 6, which has an interesting introduction to the Lord's Prayer. And all through November, by the way, I'm teaching on prayer. So next week we'll be talking about it again. And uh, then we're going to go through a series on God's wonderful gift to us, Jesus the Incarnate One. So that's how we're going to lead up to and go through the Christmas season. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 verse 5, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Jesus doesn't mince words, does he? For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do you know the prayer closet? Do you know the secret place in your heart where you are genuine and honest and you say just how you feel and you hold nothing back? You know that place in you 
where resides your fear and doubt alongside your hopes and dreams. That's the place of prayer. That's where you have to take the Father to the closet. Maybe nobody else in your life goes there. But you haven't really prayed until you've gone there. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray our Father. Because he wants us to trust the Creator God enough to come into his presence with complete abandonment and authenticity. Woe is the man who is a pretender in the place of prayer. A masker in a charade speaking words maybe to be heard by his own ears or the lips or the ears of others but not really designed to touch the heart of God. Woe is the man who cannot verbalize his sin in the place of prayer. If he won't let his heart go there, his prayer will never reach the heart of God. Go into your closet. Shut the door if you are afraid that other people will hear what you say. Block yourself in and block out the rest of the world and open up what is inside you to the God who loves you, whom you address as Father. Be honest with him. He already knows what's on your mind and on your heart and everything else about you. But you must deliberately and on purpose visit this place where you tell him the truth about you. It is the inner chamber of your soul. And when you pray, verse 7 says, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Do not be like them. We have just recited the Lord's Prayer. I hope you recited it from the bottom of your heart. Sometimes in prayer, with the Lord's Prayer and other prayers, bless the food, dear Lord, we go on autopilot. It is automatic. We rattle through our prayers. We recite them. They are vain and empty repetitions. And when we get done, we have no more talk to God than anybody else in the room. 
God does not hear because we've just formulated words. The pagans think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. How then, God? Come to the place of prayer. Engaged in mind and heart. And remember that your Father loves you. There's a big word that I want to point to in the first part of the, your, the prayer here. It's the word kingdom. Thy kingdom come. I've been thinking about it. I have four words for you, and this is the first one. Kingdom. Jesus teaches us, pray our Father in heaven, Lord of all, majestic creator of the ends of the earth, hallowed be your name, nobody's like you. Holy is your name in all the universe and in my heart and in this moment and in this place as I pray. I'm hallowing your name by being honest with you. And I'm acknowledging who you are as I say, our Father. And I want to separate myself unto you in my heart. Hallowed be your name. And Jesus says, when you pray, say, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. As it is in heaven, and the first impulse of my heart is to say, Lord, that's a grand prayer. It spans time and space. Thy kingdom come. Kingdom is a word that comes right out of politics. And Jesus used it all the time, announcing the rule of God in the hearts of men. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. It is among you. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the Lord Jesus talking about the kingdom. And I realize in the prayers of Jesus, he wants us to go expansive and cosmic. He wants to think about the realm beyond us and bigger than us. Not just focused on ourselves in the place of prayer. This is a pitiful can. It was just like this when I cracked open the box of 12. And I have not yet opened it. Boston, it's sealed, right? Can you see? Yes. Boston testifies that this can is sealed. And when I saw this can caved in on four sides... It was colder then. Now that it's warmed up, it's only caved in on two sides. I thought, how in the world did they deliver that to us? And when I thought about thy kingdom come, I said, Lord, don't let my prayers be like this can of seven up. About an inch and no fizz. Now, I'm assuming it has no fizz. I'm going to open it and see, Okay. Now, I hope this doesn't splatter on me. It really hadn't been opened. Listen. Nope, no fizz to that. That can is a fizzless can of soda. 
And your prayers have no fizz if you don't pray about the kingdom, brother. Jesus wants to put some pizzazz into your prayers. He wants to open your life and heart up to your community and your city and your world that needs Jesus. He wants you to be a world Christian, a follower of him with a world on your heart. And praying for the kingdom will put fizz in your prayers. Pray for it here in New Orleans. Can't think of somewhere else. Pray for it here, that the kingdom will come here, that God's will will be done right here on this earth as it is in heaven. Say, is the kingdom on your heart? Are you a citizen of the kingdom? Do you think about yourself that way? A citizen of the kingdom of God. You've got dual citizenship. A citizen of the United States or wherever else you might be a citizen and a citizen of the kingdom. Pray this way. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Now, thy will be done is connected to thy kingdom come because I think the two phrases explain one another. The kingdom of God comes in your spot on the planet where you've got your feet planted The kingdom comes when you do the will of God. When the will of God happens in you, you get into the secret place of prayer and you know the will of God about something in your life, something you withheld from God, something that you fought God about, some place you've refused to go that God said go. And the kingdom comes in your life, in your spot of earth, when you say, Lord, I'll go there. I'll give that up. I'll take that in. I will let my life align with yours. The kingdom comes in here so that you may be unleashed to let the kingdom happen out there. This is the integrity of the kingdom coming. And this is the challenge out there of the kingdom coming. Thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done in New Orleans. Is that prayer too big? Is it too big to pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth for heaven's sake? Is it too much? Not for a great and awesome God. Not for a Lord who walks through heaven and earth with the keys jingling by his side of hell and death. Not for the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. It's not. That prayer is not too big. And we ought to be filled with faith and hope for a future where the kingdom comes and the will of God is done more profoundly and perfectly than in my time and place now, God bring it about in the, in the world where my children live or grandchildren live. Let the kingdom come, God. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The big word, kingdom, is matched with the little word, bread. Give us This day, our daily bread. Jesus is teaching us to pray. He starts out by saying, think about the world that needs me. 
and pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And pray for your daily bread. Give us this day, Father, our daily bread. Do you like bread? Does anything smeller, smell better than freshly baked bread? Anything? I mean, think about it. The aroma of bread in the house when my mother used to cook 12 loaves and 200 dinner rolls on Mondays and the house was filled with the smell and the aroma of baked bread. I really love bread. <laughs> I'm with Jesus. Every time he gets bread in his hands, he gives thanks, you know. <laughs> they give, here's five loaves. Let's give thanks. <laughs> He takes the bread at the Last Supper and he gives thanks. I'm with him. Let's give thanks for bread. God is teaching us. Look, every little thing, every blessing in life, the stuff you need every day, you bracket every little event in your life with the ask of God's provision and the gratitude for his favor. So even receiving a slice of bread is bracketed by the prayer, Lord, I need the bread today. I know. Some of you are thinking, I can get my own bread, thank you. I don't need to ask the Creator for my daily bread. I work hard, I earn my keep, I can buy my own bread. And if you want to live in that slim little worked down poultry universe that is you, of which you are the middle, well, so be it. That could be you reduced to thinking you create your own bread. The world's bigger than that greedy, selfish, self-centered notion that you're a self-made man and that everything you've got you've made with your hands. What about those hands? How'd you get those? How about those feet and eyes? Thank God you're an American. I suppose you chose that. Did you choose your parents? It doesn't take long for an honest man to realize, oh yes, yeah, every good thing, like the oxygen you're taking in now, every good thing is a gift from the Father above. Every good thing is a gift from the Father above. It all comes from Him. And so we ought to be delighted to say, Father, give us this day. And to say thank you for what's on the plate. Now, the word daily in this prayer occurs only here and in its other record in Luke 11. Translated daily, people say it is maybe the idea of necessity. We don't have lots of places to look to see what the word meant in common Greek. 
And so some folks think it's the bread of our necessity. So I want you to think for a minute about your necessity, your need. I mean the real need, the fundamental need, the need that plagues you, what you really want, what makes your heart pause. Give us this day the deepest need of our yearning heart. God encourages us to come with those needs. That's part of being honest with Him. There's no point in hiding it. This is what I need, Lord. My heart longs for it. I need it in my life. I think bread stands in for all those little things. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't bother God with my little requests. Well, then you're not following the instructions of Jesus, right? Give us this day, what? Our daily bread. So let's bother God with our little requests, amen? Let's come before him and say, I need to sell my car, Robert, amen? And what happened? The car is sold. He got his price. It's a good thing, all right? Let's go to God with the needs on our heart and say, Lord, this is what I need. Let's ask. Ask for something. Write it down in your journal. Visit it back again. See what God says in answer to your genuine, real need. Some of us don't know if we got any answers from God because we haven't asked for anything. Not that you can measure, not that specific. The Bible is full of people who made specific requests and petitions. And God answered them. Lord, for the individual activity of my life, this is what I need. Now, I can't read, give us this day our daily bread, without thinking about the heart of Jesus, who's worried about bread for all those Folks that he's talking to who do not have refrigerators and freezers, nor do they have Winn-Dixie and the big supermarkets. They live more like hand-to-mouth. And he's concerned about them. And he says to them, pray for your daily bread. For them, it's a risk. They're not sure they're going to get it. We have so much. And they had so little. Jesus just had one robe. No place to lay his head. We don't understand their life. Give us daily bread. Jesus was concerned about the material needs. I can't read that without reflecting on, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you came to me. I was in prison, and you visited me. But Lord, when we ever see you hungry, 
when you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. The church of Jesus Christ joins with the heart of God in caring about the needs of people. It reflects the heart of God in its concern for basic needs. And oftentimes when a poor man prays, give me this day the bread I need, somebody who loves Jesus is the one who provides the bread, and that is good. There's another big word here. The word kingdom, the word bread, and then the prayer turns. And it turns to the reality that we all live with and live in. It turns to the question of forgiveness and sin and evil in the world. When somebody prays, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They're not praying a crazy man's prayer who doesn't understand the nature of the world. Christians acknowledge that there's evil in the world. In fact, the Bible teaches and we believe that all men are sinners. And all the sinners said, amen, right? We know all of sin to come short of the glory of God, at least on one count. We know for sure we did. And so we teach that. We believe that. It is a fundamental teaching of our church that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the last half of the Lord's Prayer is about evil and sin. The big word is forgive. And the petition that Jesus frames is forgive us our debts. And in Matthew, it's an economic word that is sometimes used to describe spiritual failure, but often used also to describe just plain not paying your debts, being in debt. And in Luke, it's an alternate word that is the standard word for sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is this word, hamartia. But the idea is we're all trespassers. Spiritually, we all have debts we do not pay, cannot pay. And so we ask the Father to forgive us, forgive us our debts. Now, I like the word forgive. Here's the word forgive, sister. Let it go. You don't know what forgive means in your life, brother? This is it. Let it go. Let it go. They'd take that goat that was the scapegoat, and the priest would put his hands on the head of that goat, and upon it he would deposit in a picture all the sins of Israel, and then the children would drive that goat into the wilderness. So far, he could never find his way back. And it was a picture of God letting our sin go. The word is used to describe a boat floating down the river and around the curve till it's gone. You've got to let it go. 
You can't harbor this thing inside of you. It will eat you from the inside out. It will poison you, not the person you're angry at or bitter about. It's going to bring you down, not them. Don't you know? you got to forgive. And Jesus puts it this way. Your heart is only in such a condition to receive the forgiveness of God if you yourself are willing to let it go. Forgive us our debts. How? As we forgive our debtors. Jesus, I don't get that. You can't mean that. Verse 14, as a comment on the prayer. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Clear enough? Well, let's say it another way. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, I'd like to have a theological system in which I could explain away this really difficult saying, but it's not the only place where Jesus says it. So I'm telling you, if you want to enjoy the forgiveness of God, you got to let it go. Or your heart won't ever be open to the grace God wants to give you. Down there deep inside the heart that will not forgive is the notion that God is a debtor to you, not you to him. Down deep inside where that bitterness and anger stirs around, you think you deserve better. You've been better, you do better, you deserve better. Now how can the forgiveness of God ever penetrate that morass of self-righteousness in you until you are willing to let it go. Now, husbands, you may not have promised at the altar. I know you probably promised to love, honor, and keep, okay? But you also promised to forgive. Do you promise to love, honor, forgive, and keep in sickness and in health, poverty and wealth, forsaking all others, keep the only in him so long as you both shall live? I do. I guarantee that I do includes forgiving her every day. It's just like bread. It's daily. You say, it cannot be. Living in forgiveness means every day we forgive one another because none of us is perfect. We do. And it's a beautiful truth that you are in relationships because the people who love you forgive you. And you forgive them. Oh, how Jesus knows that your life consists not in the stuff you possess but in the relationships you have with the Father and the special people in your life. That's what your life consists of. Its qualities are right here. The love, joy, and peace that you long for, it's all right here in these relationships. Your life is the arc of electricity between you and God and you and others. 
And when you will not let it go, you break the circuit of life. And it brings death. It visits death down on you. Relationships die. Oh, Lord, teach us how to forgive. Not the little petty things that are easy to forgive, but the stuff that comes up when you come into the house of worship. When you bow your head in prayer. The thing the Holy Spirit brings to your mind that you will not turn loose and you cannot turn loose. And how could somebody anyway do such a thing to me? The very place where your mind goes, that's where you've got to let it go. Now, Jesus also says, deliver us. And that's the other big word. It's kingdom, it's bread, it's forgiven, it's deliver. Today, those are my big words, all right? Deliver us, Lord. Lead us not into temptation. Here's my take on this. God doesn't tempt you to sin. But he does test you. And sometimes we get tests. And it's okay for Jesus to give us this prayer to pray. Lord, lead us not into temptation. It's the kind of prayer he prayed at Gethsemane. When he said, Father, he knew him as Father. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Sometimes you want to pray, Lord, don't let me go down that road. I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to hear the diagnosis that my parent has Alzheimer's. I don't know. I don't want to go there, God. You know the things you pray for. Lead us not there. We don't want to go through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord. Lead us not into the test. But when you get to the part where you're praying and you really mean it and it's on your heart and you got to say it, God, don't let me go there. You got to go back to the first part of the prayer too. Thy will be done on earth. Thy will be done in me. Jesus prayed it in Gethsemane. In such agony, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Now, Janet and I were talking about pain around the table here recently because Janet and I worked hard this week on some stuff and her shoulders were hurting. And they do a lot. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know too much about pain. I've lived a relatively painless life. It's not perfectly painless, obviously. Everybody has pain. And I don't look forward to pain. It's not too many weeks ago I had my first IV. Now, that was kind of painful. I mean, it hurt when they stuck me, okay? But that's the only kind of pain I've really had. Anything serious. And even though I say, Lord, I don't want pain. I know one day 
if things go in their natural order, I'm going to lay my father in the ground. And my mind didn't want to go there. What you have to say is, Lord, I don't want to go there. But if that's where I must go, then I trust that you will be with me, even in that valley. We sang an old hymn that said, let thy congregation, what, escape tribulation. I don't know if she was right about it, but Corey Ten Boom, who experienced the concentration camps and lost all of her family in World War II, never would sing that verse. Let thy congregation escape tribulation. She refused to sing it. Why, Corey? Because God gets his work done better in the valley than anywhere else. Sometimes his best work can only happen when we have the severest test. The thing that challenges you most, that challenges your faith, that you never thought would come your way, that hurts worse than anything you've ever experienced. That's the place where God can unfold his majesty and grace in you. Paul pled three times for this thorn in his flesh. Oh, God, take it away. And the father said, no. My grace is sufficient for thee. Can you hear that? In the middle of your valley, my grace is sufficient for thee. Brother, sister, my grace is sufficient. You didn't get done with grace when you got saved. You just started on a grace journey. Amen? Oh, Lord, please take this away. My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul responds, Most gladly, therefore, will I bear this infirmity that the power of God may rest upon my life. So bear the infirmity. Do it most gladly. It's not your choice, but it's your choice to do it gladly. Why? That the power of God may rest upon your life. Lord, deliver us from the life that only seeks comfort, that we may be useful to you in a world that hurts. Let's bow together. Somebody here has never trusted Jesus as Savior, and this is the day you need to do it, brother. You need to let go of all the other things you're counting on to make you right with God and say it's Christ alone. Confess your sin and repent.
Open your heart to the God who loves you and send his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Receive him by faith as a movement of your heart. Just open your heart up to the Christ who loves you and paid it all at Calvary. Invite him in. Lord, we pray that you'll have your way in us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.